Well, good evening. Uh, it's December 9th. We're in what we would normally classify our winter quarter now. Uh, Wes has had some great series for us uh, for the last uh, seven or eight months. Uh, that's going to continue now, of course, online. Uh, we may transition to indoor classes uh, next month, and if so, the topic that uh, I begin tonight will continue. Wes and I have, uh, last several weeks, uh, developed some material that we're looking forward to present. Uh, Wes will do most of those lessons. I'm going to do the introduction uh, this evening, but we're very excited about uh, this opportunity. The title of this series is going to be Jesus, My Example in a Life Interrupted. Jesus, My Example in a Life Interrupted. And I imagine you uh, don't have too many uh, wonders about where we might come up with a topic such as that. We don't want to uh, dwell continually on the circumstances we're in, but I think there's going to be some parallels we'll draw from the life of Jesus and uh, what I introduced tonight about why we think this is an important topic for us uh, going forward. We'll have this class online for tonight and next Wednesday night, but the Wednesday night just prior to Christmas Eve and the Wednesday night prior to uh, New Year's Eve uh, will not have an online presentation on those Wednesday nights. Let me just start by asking you a question. If you had to say, who is the person you have learned the most life lessons from? Uh, who would be at the top of your list? And maybe you'll have uh, two or three that you would list. That you would say, that's my biggest influence in my life, about what I've learned about how to conduct myself, what I've learned about how to uh, uh, behave, uh, how to talk, how to uh, uh, handle situations. And um, most of us likely would have put a parent there. Some of us uh, may have put a grandparent. Uh, some of us uh, might at some point put a, a certain teacher. Or if we've had a mentor, uh, maybe if you've been in a business for a long time with a, uh, an individual who had that type of influence on you and you learned a lot. But uh, it's likely, depending on what, what type of uh, life lesson we're talking about, uh, that may shift from person to person. Uh, in your life. And, uh, but people teach you really by two different ways, and maybe just these two. Uh, pe people teach you by their words, what they say, but then they also teach you by uh, what they do and what we'd certainly call someone's example. And someone, you may have heard the phrase, I'd rather uh, see a sermon than hear one any day. And so uh, those are different ways that we've learned lessons in our life. Uh, you go to seminars uh, and uh, uh, workshops to hear what people say and what they present to you. But it's the rubber meets the road is where you actually see someone doing it, maybe in a role in particular, a lesson that you learn about how to do something. But even uh, the example about uh, watching someone, how they deal with someone. One of my greatest uh, mentors uh, about uh, Bible study with someone. In other words, actually sitting down with someone who's not a Christian and how you lead them through a Bible study. You know, you can, you can read about that. There are books on it. Uh, there are motivational things to give us. But if you can sit with someone 
who's teaching someone else the gospel and see how they respond, uh, there's no greater learning environment than that. And I had some excellent people, uh, thankfully, at some very uh, early years in my life who I accompanied on Bible studies, and I, I learned so much from them about how to interact with people. And so that, that's, that's how we learn, and I, I don't think that's anything... Uh, uh, unknown to you about the influences you've had in your life and how folks have come to teach you different things. But uh, again, the focus of this lesson is my pattern of Jesus, the way I'm patterning his life in my walk. Because you see, I believe I'm talking to disciples of Jesus, am I not? I'm talking to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it I should have no trouble in, in asking you and, uh, and somewhat uh, encouraging you to ask yourself, how is your followership going? How is your discipleship going and what you are learning from the teacher? What are you learning from our master? First uh, John, uh, he writes in chapter 2 and verse 6, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now that's a, that's a pretty powerful verse because I want to say I abide in Jesus and I believe you do too. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, I need to be doing what Jesus did. I need to be reacting to people the way Jesus did. Having his attitudes and those are these lessons that we'll talk about through this coming a quarter. Uh, because in the circumstances that I've experienced in my life, especially as I think back over the last eight months, the, I have a perf perfect example uh, to look to for ways in which I perhaps should be responding to this environment and to people and to the decisions I'm making uh, and the way it, certainly I'm reacting. But learning from someone comes by the words they say and the example they show and that's what we're going to really try to emphasize this quarter as we, as we look at, at both of these. Uh, Luke even says in his gospel chapter 6 and verse 40 a disciple is not above his teacher but notice this but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now Luke is that's in the context of Jesus and his disciples. Every disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like Jesus. Wow. How are you doing with that? How's your training going? How much like Jesus are you uh, this evening? So the point of this class is to remind us all that we are indeed a follower. We are one of these uh, people who want to be trained by Jesus uh, that's acknowledged by us. And we have uh, a teacher uh, tonight. Uh, you have a teacher tomorrow. You've, you've had a teacher in the past. His name is Jesus. He's a constant teacher. And I, as his disciple, want to give him my allegiance. I always want to give Jesus my full attention, my daily focus. I want to master what he is wanting me to learn and what he is wanting me to put into my life to follow. And if we can simply allow ourselves to still be taught and not to think we've arrived, there's no more need for me to be reading the Bible or no more 
not much more I can learn from many sermons or lessons than that's not the disciple Jesus is looking for because we are taught to daily take up our cross and follow him. You know, even after three years in the very personal presence of Jesus, the disciples were still confused. They had questions after the resurrections that they had no business asking if they'd really been listening and paying attention and understood what Jesus asked, uh, taught them. So uh, Jesus wants our attention. When life is easy, he wants our attention. Uh, when life is difficult. So this lesson is to impress upon us in the coming weeks that when we want to be taught by our teacher about how Jesus approached life. And we'll consider, uh, even as I said, some of these recent events and try to bring them uh, a little more closer focused. But if I ask you to uh, give a title to Jesus, uh, what would it be? If you had to pick one word to sum up who Jesus was, well, there's several that would come to mind. We think of Savior. Uh, we think of the Redeemer, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, and so forth. But how many times uh, would you think of your first answer would be teacher? Here's an amazing fact. Of the 90 times Jesus was directly addressed in the Gospels, 60 times the words teacher is the title that, that someone addresses him by. Uh, the multitude and the disciples and even the scribes and Pharisees, as we'll see tonight, recognized him as a person who was promoting himself as a teacher. And he wasn't just promoted himself as a teacher. He was recognized as a teacher. And his own closest disciples use that phrase for him as well, for him as well. And even uh, uh, John, Jesus in John chapter 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. So Jesus even gives the recognition to that as a term for that. And he says, For that is what I am. I am teacher and Lord. Then Nicodemus, uh, early on in Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 3 says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So uh, Nicodemus being in the Jewish council, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That, that's the title that Jesus is recognized by. And I think sometimes we, we overlook that. And that's the emphasis again of, of this, these lessons in this quarter. Jesus is our teacher. How much is he teaching us uh, still today as we walk with Christ? I'd like you to get your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 12. Uh, that's the only chapter we're going to be in tonight. And uh, we're not going to be able to read this chapter verse by verse, but we're going to walk through uh, this chapter together and see some of these great ways that Jesus taught. There, there are so many places in the scriptures we could go to reference Jesus as teacher, but this chapter I think encapsulates so many uh, principles. Uh, so uh, uh, this is likely uh, this chapter is likely what we call the Passion Week. Uh, some people actually segment the days of that week, and uh, some put this on Tuesday. 
Uh, so Thursday night is going to be the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus will be on the cross on Friday. And this chapter is taking place on Tuesday. So uh, we're going to see in this chapter uh, so many ways that Jesus teaches. He teaches by parables. He teaches by debating. He teaches by uh, answering questions. And he even teaches from a real-life event. So uh, I think this chapter really sums up some great things for us. Uh, The first... uh, Part of the chapter is one of the ways that Jesus taught so uh, effectively, and that is to uh, uh, tell a parable. Uh, Mark chapter 12, he has this parable of the vineyard, and it's about a vineyard owner who uh, uh, turns it over to his servants uh, and goes away, and he sends uh, uh, one of his servants to go back to check on the vineyard, And the people who are now working in the vineyard choose to kill the servant of that master. Uh, He sends more, and more of those servants are killed that go to check and see how things are. And then he even says, I'll send my son, I'll send the heir. Look at uh, in the chapter, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 5. And he sent another, and and him they killed. And verse 6, he had still one another, one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. And those tenants said to one another, Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Verse 8, And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Verse 9, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, it's not hard to recognize what's going on here. The vineyard is, represents Israel. Uh, the owner is God. The servants that they kill and, and uh, treat badly are the prophets. Uh, and finally, he sends his son, the heir. That's, of course, Jesus Christ. So Jesus was prophesying what was going to happen in his life. And the point of the parable comes down to verses 10 and 11 about what these uh, tenants, the Jews, actually rejected In verse 10 he says, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in your eyes. They rejected the son in this vineyard store. They rejected the most important part of any building. They rejected uh, the cornerstone. The chief priests and Pharisees are represented here Uh, in this transition to the cornerstone and making this quote of uh, trying to build the walls of a house and being unable to fit the most important stone in its proper place. Uh, And they rejected this sun, this cornerstone, while trying to manage the vineyard. Jesus is answering this question. If you go back one verse, uh, just a few verses in Mark chapter 11, What's happening in Mark chapter 12 is Jesus answering what's going on in this question in Mark eleven twenty-eight, And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? So Jesus begins this teaching that he does through here in Mark chapter 12, which we believe is taking place in the temple courts. But let, let me tell you a story first. Let me get your attention here about who I am and who I represent, and that being uh, the cornerstone. You know, 
Have you ever been, uh, I guess, trust me, as a preacher, you know, you get uh, nonverbal feedback from uh, your audience, and uh, uh, it's hard to know what's going on at this moment, of course, with you. But uh, a preacher, when he uh, is preaching, but suddenly says, let me tell you a story. You'll be surprised the refocus sometimes that takes place with people. Let me tell you a story. And, and you, you kind of tune back in. I've done it myself, of course, uh, in hearing teachers. But why do, why do preachers and teachers do that? Well, if there is, and again, that's the caveat, if there is an excellent application to the story that's told, it makes a, a wonderful illustration of the point you're trying to make. And that's, of course, what the parables were all about. And Jesus was a master a storyteller uh, with parables to make a point. And that's what this teacher of ours is doing as he begins this part in the temple. You know, Jesus has sometimes very long sections of teaching without parables. The Sermon on the Mount would be uh, such a one. Several chapters in John are, are simply him, him talking. And there's no illustration per se. Although in the Sermon on the Mount you do have the, the, you know, about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. You have the wise man and the foolish man. But mostly it's doctrinal points. You know, when you read uh, the letters of Paul, it's not, it's not about parables. It's about doctrine. You know, reading through Romans chapter 1 through 11 are, are some very deep doctrinal things. You have to really focus but at times Jesus knew to say, let me get your attention first by telling you a story and then I'll make an application uh, to that. And that's why we know uh, the Good Samaritan so well. That's why we know the story of the prodigal son so well and why our kids know them and the lessons that we can teach from these wonderful stories that uh, Jesus told. So the rest of Mark chapter 12 and the chapters uh, that follow illustrate how this particular story comes true. Jesus is saying, I am this capstone. I am the one that you need to line your life up with. And that's certainly the lesson for us in that chapter as well. How am I lining, aligning myself, my walk with Christ, my attitude as a disciple up with the way that Jesus wants me to be going? If I'm truly his disciple, I have aligned and measured myself, not by my standards, but by the standards of Jesus Christ. And so continuing on in the chapter, now he gets into some of these dialogues with people. And the first one is this conversation uh, you're likely familiar with where they think they've got a, uh, an avenue to maybe trick Jesus. And they start out in verse 14 using this phrase, teacher, uh, call him what he wants to be called or is being called, has been called to this point. We know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinions. Now, they're not making that up. <laughs> they're talking about what they had heard or what they had seen in Jesus, that uh, uh, we know that you are true. Now, that may be, again, a little hypocrisy on that part. And do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. And what he, Jesus actually gets into that a little bit more. But Jesus is not a yes man. They're, 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 he's already got that reputation. He's, he's a guy who calls, 
the shots look just like he sees them. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Wow. Uh, some great statements, but again, spoken in hypocrisy. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Uh, should we pay them or should we not? And then, of course, verse 15, as it says, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, uh, says this statement that we're familiar with, whose likeness is on the coin, render to Caesar what is Caesar, render to God uh, what is God's. But look at the result of his answer. Look at verse, end of verse uh, 17. And they marveled at him. And they marveled at him. Have you ever been, or you may have a version that says they were amazed by him. Have you ever had a teacher that amazed you? I have to say, I, I, I can't necessarily use that language about it. Too many of my teachers. Uh, sometimes I've been amazed by what a teacher has asked of me on a test, but uh, to call my teacher marvelous or amazing, may, you know, we, sometimes we've had some good teachers, but that's the phrase that Mark chose to use about how Jesus was received by what he gave was simply uh, this answer. And I think there's a lot to learn and respect about how Jesus handled this situation with the Pharisees and the Herodians uh, asking this because, you know, they were being sneaky. They were trying to be flattering uh, in this situation. And uh, Jesus doesn't snap back at that. He just, it just says as he knows knowing their hypocrisy, and he gives this very uh, uh, evasive answer to a degree, a very smart answer. Uh, he doesn't argue with them. And I think uh, uh, Jesus teaches me something there about how to respond in a situation. Uh, I may be... Uh, asked things or encountering people who are, I know are being somewhat uh, dishonest with me to some degree. Do I have to in turn be uh, uh, antagonistic to them? Is there a way I can be smart in this situation and be wise and handle it uh, to my best uh, abilities? I actually be true to who I am and still give uh, a good response. And so uh, that's, I think, being wise as serpents uh, here is, uh, uh, is interesting, uh, an interesting analogy here. So uh, going on, uh, as we try to move through this chapter, verses 18 through 27. Now the Sadducees this time are one who come to Jesus. Now the Sadducees Really, only in one other case in Matthew does is there Jesus ever really approached by Sadducees and asked direct questions. They're referred to a lot sometimes in Jesus' speech. He might lump them together, the Pharisees and Sadducees. But uh, this is a time where there's an encounter that we don't generally have. And there's such irony to this encounter because they're asking Jesus about the, uh, what's going to happen after the resurrection. And they, the Sadducees are one, even in Mark no, does this, just read it. And the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. Mark is, is indicating that. These are people who didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the existence of angels or spirits either. But uh, 
They said, you know, teacher, uh, based on the law that is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, they're giving some credibility to Jesus here uh, in, in, in stating that this teacher must know about this law that's there uh, in Deuteronomy that uh, if, if your uh, brother dies and he's married, if, if, if I have a, had a brother and his wife died, I'm sorry, he died, then I would be obligated to marry uh, my brother's spouse and take her uh, as a, a spouse and, the chi- and any children that she would have. But uh, this is the story of, uh, of seven brothers and the old, maybe the oldest one or the first one is married to a woman and uh, the, so the other brother marries her and so forth, all seven. And, you know, very fictitious uh, uh, question. But then they ask, you know, in the resurrection, uh, whose wife is she? Uh, going to be and so uh, uh, this is a Jesus points out uh, something that's applicable and it's also some teaching I think on the uh, life after death Uh, um, is this not verse 24 is this not the reason you are wrong and you know again that that sometimes we overlook that Jesus is First of all, it says you guys are all wrong about this. Uh, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. I'll come back to that in just a minute. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Uh, and so, uh, verse twenty-seven, he says, "He is not the God of the dead, but of the living." You are quite wrong. So, at the beginning of his answer and at the end, Jesus is as a teacher saying, "You know, you got." That's wrong. You got the wrong answer here. You got the wrong train of thought in asking uh, this this question. So, uh, but go back to verse 24. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Let me ask you a question. Which do you tend to know more about? Do you tend to know more of the scriptures? Or do you tend to know more about the power of God? Or hopefully, is your answer, you know, I am well acquainted with both. <laughs> because it's not just good enough to know the scriptures, because the Sadducees did. But they were missing the power of God as well. And, and of course, Jesus even said they didn't know the scriptures. But uh, I love that answer. But where am I going to learn from someone about the scriptures and the power of God? Well, I'm going to learn them from this teacher. I'm going to learn them from my time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I will learn so much about the scriptures. And I will learn so much about the power of God. The gospel of counts of my Lord and Savior and my teacher. Okay, moving on. Verse 28 uh, this this question again. This time it's one of the scribes, uh, uh, as it says, when one of the scribes came up, he, he would himself be a teacher of the law. He's someone who would sp- spends his days in the Old Testament and knowing what's going on. And, and uh, what's interesting about this uh, section is uh, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. You may have a version that says heard them debating with one another. So there's a lot uh, going on here uh, uh, in such a way that, that those observing saw it really 
they understand this is a back and forth going on here. Uh, this is people, you know, working against each other, trying to prove who's right and wrong and so forth. And that's the way that the scribe had seen it come across. But notice what this, this scribe honestly says, or at least Mark says about him. And seeing that he answered them well. Uh, this scribe is, has admired what Jesus has said. And maybe is asking uh, because he's given some recognition to this teacher. I would just like to know what this teacher thinks about what the greatest commandment is. Maybe that's some, a common question that was asked among, quote, scholars of that day. What do you think is the greatest commandment? Well, what do you think is the greatest commandment? Well, that's what he wanted to know about Jesus. And Jesus uh, doesn't say that uh, he has any forethought about prejudging this scribe and so forth, but he gives the answer about uh, hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. But notice the response. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Uh, at least in his mind, he was given a compliment. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with the understanding, with the strength, love one's neighbor, is much more than all whole offerings and sacrifices. Now, that's the scribe saying that, that you're right, Jesus, those commands are so much greater than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, when Jesus liked what, Je what this scribe said, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now he said that to a lot of his followers. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then interesting, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. In other words, they had seen... Uh, so much in Jesus. So uh, uh, this is to me a, an interesting twist of the previous encounters of that day and other encounters that we know that Jesus had in the courtyard that day from, from other of the gospel accounts. Jesus is actually having a legitimate conversation with what seems to be an honest learner and someone who is a very well trained in the scriptures. Um, but this answer is for all of us and for not just the scribe. I know it's been pointed out a number of times. Uh, but let's think about who is giving this answer about what the greatest commandment is. Uh, it's not any other human. It's not a scribe. It's not a disciple. It's not the Apostle Paul. It is God in the flesh. Jesus, in a sense, is answering on behalf of the Godhead. If you could ask God, what's the greatest commandment? That's what's happening here. God, what is the greatest commandment? What, what should I focus on the most? And give some credence to this answer in that way. And me, as a follower of Jesus, me as a disciple... I want to know what my teacher thinks is the greatest commandment that I should be following. It's love God, love your neighbor. You got to get those two right. If if you don't, if you've missed those, then all the other things you go about doing at church, uh, with your uh, 
acquaintances and relationships. You got to get those two right. This answer is for all of us. And as I said, this was at least the third uh, debate of the day. It could have been Jesus may have had a short fuse by this time, but he didn't. He treated this man, uh, we could say, respectably. And maybe we could ask if you've answered this time in a complimentary way, in the, in the way that uh, Jesus did. Uh, in fact, I'd like to, you to take a little self-examination here by me asking you, are you being asked any questions at all? Are your children asking you Bible questions? Not that a lot of us are on the job, but do people on the job ask you Bible questions? Do your relatives ask you Bible questions? And I would say, if not, why not? If you are going to be like your teacher, as we saw John earlier to say, I want to walk as Jesus walked. I ought to walk like him. And I want to be like my teacher. Then I must be living a life like Jesus that people recognize me as a disciple of Jesus. Why would I not most certainly have people asking me Bible questions or questions about Jesus Christ because they have to see that in me. And so if you're not being asked any questions about the Bible from anyone in your circle, maybe you need to take another self-examination about how much like Christ uh, we're actually becoming. And then I think it's good to even look at this question, uh, maybe ask what kind of reflecting over all of these, what kind of questions are you asked that kind of spark you to a debate or kind of, as we say, kind of push your button and you get a little bit out of control? Jesus never seemed to be that way. He did, as we said, there were twice on the one question we said, you're wrong, even at the beginning and the end of his answer. But what are questions that kind of set you off that you, you kind of become you know, a little bit uh, a terse. I, you know, I, I, I think about me and Laura, for instance. You know, what are questions she might ask me that I kind of, you know, kind of set me off? I, it's hard for me to think about it. Before this lesson, I, I, I did think of uh, sometimes maybe I'm getting ready to leave the house and she'll ask, uh, are you going to wear that? Now, uh, that question, of course means something, doesn't it? But, you know, I might want to turn and say, no, I just thought I'd walk out the door and see how they felt, and I was going to come back in and change. Well, the question, you know, really means uh, you shouldn't be wearing that. But, you know, I may respond in a different way by uh, that kind of question. But uh, I hope I've matured to the point of saying, thanks, honey, uh, you are right, like Jesus did to this man. Maybe I need to take another look at this shirt that's 100 years old and not wear it today. But uh, let's go on. Mark chapter 12. We'll leave that. Mark 12, uh, about verse 35, a little short, short section here. As Jesus taught in the temple, again, this is the setting that we see him in this day. Uh, how can the scribes, again, he's talking about the teachers. How can the teachers of the law 
say that the Christ is the son of David. And he goes on to give somewhat of a theological reasoning when he quotes this passage. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He said, David said that. So the Christ was there uh, with David. In other words, David was recognizing that the Lord is living at that point. Uh, he's, Jesus is not just the son of David through genealogy. The Christ is not just a physical descendant. He is someone who has always been. And this is, again, uh, probably uh, uh, one of the most important parts of the passage uh, of this chapter, to not dismiss this phrase lightly, because uh, this is how Jesus was, uh, uh, were people responding to uh, Jesus' teaching uh, when uh, this great, as it says in verse 37, and the great throng heard him gladly. In other words, they, they were getting excited about what Jesus had to say. And that's, that's a real key part to this chapter that this teacher was coming across not just as someone who could debate, but someone who they wanted to listen to, someone who was drawing uh, their attention. Um, they were, these were the common people of Jerusalem. And I think that's a principle for us. If I'm a, a disciple of Jesus who becomes a teacher or someone who... Who can, who can give words of Christ and the example of Christ then in my conduct and in my speech, then I would hope and pray that, that I would be gladly heard. The way I'm coming across is being gladly accepted or gladly seen or gladly recognized. And, uh, but he addresses this crowd and gives them this uh, stern warning in verse uh, uh, 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes. And this is when he does... Uh, as I complimented earlier in the chapter where it says Jesus said he didn't care about appearances. Uh, in other words, the way, you, well, that certainly is pointed out here when he says, you know, the, uh, they uh, walk around in long robes. They have the best seats in the synagogue. They devour widows' houses and for prestige and make long prayers. Uh, they will receive the greater condemn condemnation. So uh, he condemns these teachers who put emphasis on looking uh, the part, and uh, but how he answered these questions uh, is is really key. Uh, this part about um, this quote from that he's giving, because he was at this point he's trying to point out that the the Christ is divine. His claim to be a teacher is the fact that it's in perfect harmony with the fact that He is the Son of God, and that's the credibility given to His teaching. If He is the Christ, then He is also uh, David's Lord. And then finally, this, what I call a, a very unique time for Jesus to teach, is the last part of this chapter, in verse 41. It's kind of like, okay, let's, let's go sit down over here, guys. Let's take a minute. And He sat down opposite the treasury. And they were watching people putting money uh, in the treasury box. In verse 42, they, were, they all must have observed that there was this poor widow who came along and drops just a little few coins in. And then he got his disciples together, verse 43, and said, did you, basically, did you see what happened there? Let me, let, me, let me tell you this. This widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. But they all, for they all contributed out of their abundance. 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now that's what great teachers do. A great teacher teaches not just of stories, of real life, of, of fictitious things, and then make an application. Great teachers don't just debate back and forth, and they don't uh, just deal with questions and answers, but a great teacher can say, can you learn something from that? Can you learn something from this? You know, I think the phrase we've often given is, is called a teachable moment. Uh, and as a parent, uh, that is so vital to be able to, to utilize teachable moments. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So, concluding this lesson. Hopefully, you understand the emphasis throughout this chapter is on the teaching of Jesus. You know, if, if you'd never read the Bible, you knew nothing about Jesus. And someone said, the first thing I want you to do is read Mark chapter 12. Your entire impression of Jesus would simply be that that's what he was. That he was someone who was teaching people. But we know him as a disciple of Christ as so much more. But yet, we often overlook what he came to do. He came to develop people. He came to develop disciples. He came for us to be developed, you and I, as followers of truth. And we have these great gospel accounts. We have his words. We have his stories. We have these dialogues with people. We have encounters, both pleasant and unpleasant. And we have these teaching even from real life examples. And Mark chapter 12 has all of those for us. So, let's say a few months from now you had to sit in a class and the class was called your life in 2020. Who would you want that teacher to be? Who would you want that teacher to be? I hope you would say, I want it to be Jesus Christ because I want to learn from Him. And how has the fact that your assurance of being a disciple of Jesus Christ helped you these last eight or nine months? Well, as we go forward in this quarter, uh, we hope to see what Jesus said and what he did in situations that needed endurance, perseverance, leadership, service to others, and so much more. Uh, I hope you look forward to these Wednesday night lessons as we continue. Thank you.